Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Episode 50. That seems momentous somehow. I'm really excited about this episode, too, because I've been eager to interview Carly Waters, whom I have admired on social media for so long. She's a former lawyer. You may have heard her um, talk about that past history and what it's brought to her current game. But what happened in our conversation was really exciting, I think, because we didn't necessarily have a topic, so we still stumbled onto something that is so real and so authentic and so important, which is this concept that we don't need more always. Sometimes we just need better, fewer, better. Carly says that's her motto. I'm pretty sure that's my motto too. And I think it might be something that's worth contemplating and embracing for yourself. You'll be the judge. As I said, Carly practiced family law for years, of course, which gave her an advantage in terms of being able to talk confidently to clients, I would think. But then she really had to create a whole new persona for herself in her design business, Carly Waters style. Definitely check out her website. It is pretty impressive. I love what she writes about on her website. First of all, she came up with this term, warm minimalism, which I think describes her style very well. And she says that the real beauty in the work comes from the integration of form and function, that Carly Waters' style marries the analytical with the beautiful, white spaces, clean lines, layered textures. Each space feels peaceful and purposeful. Every home has an innate style, and that style should be honored by the architecture and the finishes selected. To me, when I read that, it really conjures up the idea of a specific client. And that's part of what we're going to talk about too, how creating a streamlined vision for yourself rather than being afraid of it deterring people, instead to focus on the fact that it will attract the people who are just right for you. Something else I love about her website is the fact that um, she refers right on the home page to the fact that she charges an hourly fee for design services and has a minimum project fee of $5,000. And you're going to hear when Carly and I uh, talk in this episode that she cops to charging $275 for consultations, but really thinks she should be charging $375. And I give her a little nudge on that. And I'm going to give her a little nudge on this. Her minimum project fee probably needs to be higher at this stage in her career. She's three or four years down the line from where she started and is really gaining a name for herself. Following every podcast, I have homework to do because these guests inspire me uh, as you all inspire me. And a couple of things that came up in our conversation, one of them had to do with Carly's suggestion that you go back through your Instagram account and do some editing. And I was a little bit anxious about that. It seemed like a very big task and it seemed like, oh my gosh, how many times have I mentioned tequila? So I actually went to do it. I had trouble doing it on my desktop. So I did the phone version. 
And that was a little bit easier. And I was able to delete those posts that were an inside joke, something kind of silly I did just with one friend. I just deleted those things and I felt a little bit better about what was on there. But I did notice that on my Instagram feed, I have at least 60% is just lifestyle and fun and travel. And the design side's a little weak. So, ah, it was a good exercise for me because now I see I need to be focused a little bit more on, on putting up some of my design projects on a regular basis. So thank you, Carly, for that. Something else that came up as we were talking was this idea of social media platforms and how they're changing. And Carly mentioned the new social media website, Vero. And I wanted to take a look a little bit more closely at what they're doing. Currently, they are so overwhelmed with user requests, they've had to shut down for a little bit. But something I found fascinating and interesting and timely for all of us on their website was this. Their business model is not based on serving ads. Instead, it's subscription-based, and that means their users are their customers, not the product they are serving to advertisers. And we talked about that on a recent podcast, didn't we? If it's free, you are the product. It remains to be seen whether or not Vero is going to be the answer to all of our problems. We've all jumped into websites and agreed to terms of service and then found out that a month later, a year later, or two years later, those terms of service are wildly different, and yet we agree to using them. So I think it is important for us to pay attention to the business um, model and the mission statement. Who is that website aiming to serve, and do they put that customer first and foremost? I found this to be an extremely productive conversation with Carly. She's got great actionable advice. I think this is going to be one of your favorite podcasts. It definitely is one of mine. I want to also, uh, before we jump in and you meet Carly, I want to mention that we got an inquiry from a couple of people about the Palm Springs retreat, which is halfway sold out. We hope you'll consider joining us. And the inquiry had to do with the fact that, hey, we're going to be in Palm Springs. We hope you're not going to hide us away in a convention center and we won't get to see all of the beauty around us. So I want to clear that up right away. This is not a business of design convention. We have done those before and they can be really great experiences. This is a retreat. We will spend exactly zero time in a convention center or in any hotel boardrooms, zero time. Our learnings will take place in a beautiful setting, a lovely Palm Springs house with a pool, uh, which is why we are keeping attendance fairly low, um, definitely under 20. We haven't come up with our ideal number yet, but it will be under 20. And uh, we will make sure you see lots of Palm Springs. And we will do that by putting you in a private coach and we will hire appropriate guides and we will get into places that you would not be able to get into on your own. And we will do intensive learning in a beautiful environment full of sunshine. You'll be able to get up and serve yourself coffee at any time you want or a snack or food. So we're going to pamper you and take care of you, but we're going to push you to work hard as well. So thanks for those inquiries. We'd love to have you join us October 18th to 21st. It is modernism week, so you can expect some sexy architecture to be part of the fun. And uh, the price tag is $2,400. And
And uh, if you raise your rates, like I encourage Carly to do, you'll be able to pay for it in no time without it coming out of your bottom line. So everybody, thanks so much for um, considering joining up for our trips, which uh, are a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to it. And thank you so much for your support of this podcast as well. And now you're going to meet Carly. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, everybody. This is Business of Design. We're so glad you are here. If you are an independent interior design professional, architect, stager, stylist, landscaper, you're in the right place. And we are going to be talking to an amazing guest today, a lovely woman who I fell in love with on social media. I noticed her Instagram posts and her style is so clean and so pure and so lovely. And turns out she lives around the corner with me and I can introduce did I just say she lives around the corner with me? Did that, did that is that what I just said, Carly? I live a, I live up up the hill. You live up the hill. You live in Pacific Palisades. I live in Santa Monica, so she lives near me, but not with me. Uh, but she's come uh, to hang out with me today. And everybody, this is Carly Waters. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, did you even know that I fell in love with you on Instagram? I did I was just coveting I did all it. of those pictures you post. And but I'm I like, love hearing that. Well, I love that you have such a niche or a niche, depending on where you live, and that you're so consistent about it and you really seem to know who you are as a brand. And so I was surprised when I started doing a little digging that you'd only been an interior design professional for four or five years. So I I thought you would be a really great person to talk about how do you, number one, stake your claim in a certain look in order to have a consistent brand. And part of that equation has to be how do you attract the, the client who is perfect for you? So that's what we're going to talk about uh, on the podcast. How does that sound? That's perfect. Awesome. That's okay. Let's hear from you. We might as well ask you, um, what did you start out as and how did you find yourself as an interior design professional? And then we'll jump into the actionable stuff you guys are all dying to hear. Okay, so I started, uh, if anyone has read my bio, I started as a family law attorney, and I graduated law school in 2010. My husband and I lived in San Francisco, and even in law school, I wasn't I wasn't keen on becoming a lawyer, which people would say, well, then why'd you go to law school? Well, I had a dad who was a, I I have a father who's an attorney and a grandfather who's an attorney. So it felt like the quote unquote easy thing to do. But even during law school, I thought, okay, I want to use this degree and do something in business when I'm done. And then in law school, I started doing a side hustle of organizing for clients and mostly attorneys. Um, So when I finished law school in 2010, the economy was atrocious. So I didn't get a job. I 
probably four or five months. And during that four or five months, I continued that side hustle and even, you know, had a business name and was doing this organizing job for clients, which was not the industry it is today. Well, long story longer, I <laughs> I got a job as a family law attorney after realizing, you know what, I don't want to jump ship so quickly, and went to this great family law female-owned firm in San Francisco, and I worked there for four years. But during that time, I realized my heart wasn't in it and slowly started to think, okay, what? where do I want to take my career. And that's when um, my husband got an opportunity to move to LA. And I thought, you know, this is a good, a good time to switch. So we moved to LA in 2014. And at that point I started my business as an organizer and I didn't actually start as a designer. I started as an organizer who did styling because I knew off the bat I could get clients and I didn't need a portfolio and I didn't feel like not having gone to design school would hurt me. So that's where I started, and then quickly the client started bringing me on and saying, I need design help, and so I started really pivoting and moving more to the design side, but in my mind, I thought, I can't be a designer until I have a portfolio, so... I did what you know I thought was rational, which is go buy a house in LA, flip it, <laughs> use it as your portfolio. I also happened to be watching other designers and how they were getting into the industry, you know, Amber Interiors and Emily Henderson, all of whom were using their own homes as their portfolio. So I thought, you know, if they're doing it, that's something I could do. So, you know, there were probably easier, less expensive ways to do it, but I, (laughs) you know, go big or go home. So we bought a flip in Redondo Beach, which I, you know, took down to the studs and redid and then used that as my portfolio. And at that point, which was now three, four years ago, that was really the starting point for my design career. I love I love um, that you're talking about something that so many of us have done, which is use our own spaces as part of our portfolio. And of course, we do that because we have complete control and we can finish it all the way, right? Correct. Um, so no shame there. And what I really admire, and now it, it makes a little bit more sense, you have this career in business as a lawyer previously. What I really admire is how you came out of the gate with a look that is so consistent and pure and clean. And that was not my story. I started out doing projects and every single project looked different. And so it took me a long time to establish my brand and who I am. So there's a lot of advantages to having a a tightly defined brand and sticking with it. And uh, you've got to go to Carly's website, uh, Carly Water waterstyle.com. Uh-huh. Yep. Everybody check it out and you'll see exactly what we're talking about. So, you know, uh, on the Business of Design podcast, we like to make sure we're talking about things that are actionable and that other people who are listening can incorporate into their business practices immediately. So let's just start with the, with the most obvious, which is how do you establish a consistent brand and why is that an advantage? So for me, this brings us back full circle. Because I started out as an organizer, it it 
really dictated what my look was, which was clean, simple, minimal. And I really, and I didn't feel like in design, anyone was merging design organization. So in my mind, I, I thought, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to bring this look and merge these two concepts. And because naturally that's what I, what I could do, I just went with that. And I, you know, I never swayed from that. And when I met with clients that didn't fit that, I said, you know, I love what you want to do, but let me refer you to someone else because I'm not going to give you the look you want. I'm not right. a maximal, a maximist. I'm a minimalist, if that's a word. So can I jump in right there and say, um, because somebody listening right now is going, well, that's easy for you to do, but I don't have enough jobs. And so I have to take every single one that comes my way. And I think Carly would agree that we want to acknowledge that that is a reality for some of us. You know, you're barely making ends meet, you have to take every job. So we recognize that it's a bit of a privilege. It's a bit of a luxury, isn't it? To be able to be selective about clients. So just, you know, we feel you, we know, I remember exactly what that feels like. So, um, and and I have that same thing and I have to fight against that, you know, that there's not going to be enough and that, that, that mentality of, um, uh, famish, right? That, oh my God, if I don't lack. take this lack, I'm not going to get, I, it, all, I think all of us have that concern. I think the, what you want to try to do is fight against that and say, if I say no to this client, that means a better client. I'm making space for a better client. Yeah. And in the reality, you just absolutely need the money. You just mm-hmm. need the money and you can't afford to say no. That's okay. You take that job, you do the very best job you can, but it may mean that you don't want to use those photographs on your website or that you'll just do some strategic vignettes mm-hmm. that are consistent with your brand to use on the website. So one of the things that has been a challenge for me is many of my projects, my projects look different from one to the other. And so I'm having to even still now get rid of a whole bunch of photos on my website because it's not the direction I want to go in moving forward. So it's okay to take jobs that you know aren't your dream job. There's no shame in that. And earning a living is important. Um, But you do want to be consistent in terms of what you put out into the world that matches your brand. Yeah. I mean, I think back, I look back at, we, I started with apartment therapy and they shot our apartment. I think it was in 2010, 2011. And I'm almost embarrassed to have the link on my site because my style has changed so much since then. But, you know, you just have to kind of own it and say, well, it's been eight years or seven years and things change. But, and I have, I've taken clients that I just don't put the photos up online because it doesn't, it doesn't match the the look of my brand. Right. Okay. So you, you're, you, what I think I hear you saying though, is you want to be intentional around the look that you want to stand for Mm -hmm. and, and what that means in the world. And then you want to make sure that you're clear about that online on your website, online, Instagram, uh, PayPal, Venmo, like all the places Mm -hmm. that you have a picture should all be consistent across all the, yeah. 
And that should help. That should help in a big way attract the person who's just right for you right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what else do you do? Um, let's say now you've got your look, you know what it is. And by the way, if you don't know what your look is, invite a couple of designer friends you trust to take a look at your website and help you with this exercise, because sometimes it's really hard to be objective. Um, you know, I, I, I remember that I love that client. And so to me, I love that look, but somebody else will look at it and go, it doesn't seem consistent with other things you did. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that should be on your website. So it's okay to get somebody, um, to, to get a friendly designer to come in and look at your website and help you be more selective. Yeah. I came up with this idea of it's called warm minimalism and I don't know when it was, maybe eight, nine months ago. And it just popped in my head when I was scrolling through Instagram one night and I put it out there and I, every time I remind myself, I'm like, does this align with that? Does this feel like, you know, and because it's not, sometimes you're, you see all these pretty things and you, you sway and you want to pivot and you're like, no, 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 come back to what is my brand and let me ask myself again, does this align? Mm -hmm. There's so much about this industry that requires discipline, so much. You know, the interactions with clients, logging your timesheets, getting paid, sending out your invoices. There's so many aspects of this job that require discipline. And this is just another area where you have to take responsibility for the image you're putting out into the world and be a little bit hardcore. And, um, if anything, when you say, Carly, if you really are are keen to establish a look, when you say fewer pictures um, yes. are better than a whole bunch that are inconsistent. Yes. Well, that's my motto in life, apparently, is fewer better. Um, yeah. I think you... I mean, I tend to only post once a day, and I usually post five to six days a week, um, and I really do. I try to just put my best stuff out there. I do have, like I use Insta stories a lot because I like being real and true and I want people to get a flavor of who I am. And I think that's the perfect place to, you know, put those messier photos and, and whatever out to the world. But in terms of when someone goes to my page, I want them to scroll through. And I even, I remember when I made this decision, I went back and deleted probably half of my initial Instagram post because I thought I I don't, that doesn't fit with what I want people to see. So I think you do, you have to be really disciplined and go through with a fine tooth comb and say, does this all match and Mm -hmm. do things like delete images that don't. I have, okay, really seriously, I have to go and delete my Insta posts. That's crazy. I'm just, I'm in a panic right now because I think 50% of my posts involve tequila. (laughs) I'm like, is that bad? Is that wrong? No, but that's that's it's that's, definitely that's a client. real life. That is definitely a client who's going to say like, she's my designer. We can design and, and drink. drink tequila. Yeah. All right. You've. Oh, I can't even imagine going back to edit my Instagram post. Okay. It was one of those things where I was just like, it's back to that apartment therapy. I was like, oh god, I'm kind of embarrassed that this is out in the world. What are the things I can control? Okay, I can control my Instagram. Right. So let me go back and clean up and take out those. You know the first year or two of Instagram, it was not as curated as it is today. All right. Wow. Okay. That's, that's something for me to think about. I'm afraid to even open that Pandora's box, but there you go. I love what you said. Fewer, better. That. Fewer, better. That 
That's it. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. I know so many designers who are panicked because this avenue or that platform or this particular entity is trying to take business away from them. And I'm thinking to myself, I need um, 10 to 14 clients a year. That's Mm -hmm. it. That is not very many clients. Right. 10 to 14. And for some of you, that you need five or you need three. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the number that I need will get lower in the next 10 years, not higher, because there's a lot of fun traveling I want to do and whatever. So if you can, um, I'm going to recommend a course, Profits to Projects, or Projects to Profits, will help you determine how many customers you need in order to make the amount of money you want to make. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw that out there as something you should take at businessofdesign.com, projects to profits. Um, fewer is better. Fewer is better in so many ways. Well, I, I also think of it in terms of platforms. So I made a conscious decision also when I started to say, where, which platform do I want to focus on? Because I personally am not good at, you know, being doing five different platforms, right? Some people are great at being an all-star on all of them. I wanted to focus on Instagram. So it's funny, you just had the LinkedIn um, podcast, but I actually deleted my LinkedIn account four years ago when I left the law because I thought I don't want my, which you know now I probably shouldn't have, but I didn't want my old law life to be mixing in with my design life. So mm. I decided, okay, I'm not going to have clients find me through LinkedIn. Um, and then even Facebook, I have a Facebook business account, but I really don't, it just copies my Instagram post and puts them there. So I think if you decide, you know, Instagram is it, then you have to make sure you focus every day on putting a good post up and, and being consistent, but maybe not doing five different platforms. Right. I'm hearing this a lot. Actually, my daughter deleted her Facebook account mm. and, um, she just feels like it's not where it's at for her. Mm-hmm. She works in Hollywood. She's in the entertainment industry. She just doesn't feel like it suits her brand and her vibe at mm-hmm. the moment. Um, and are we all banking on Instagram staying exactly like it is forever? Can you like, can no, I hold your hand and when no, you and there's this some, question? and there's some new, what is it called? Vero or there's yeah. some new one I've seen this week yeah. and I'm like, Oh God, not again. Yeah. Because now we're all social media fatigue. I think a lot of people are feeling social media fatigue. Well, I'm just like, why do we all need to jump ship and like go to the next best thing? The next best thing may not be better. Like, why don't we just keep it where it is and, and make that, but it's yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah. And ultimately whenever these things monetize, that's when there's problems. Mm -hmm. So there's no, there's no free ride. And I'm just kind of hoping Insta, I'm hearing that Instagram is not going to stay as lovely as it is. Well, no. And people are already upset about the algorithm. And I mean, I've noticed, I'm like, why is this getting so many fewer likes than, you know, three weeks ago, this is a gorgeous image. So it's definitely, I mean, it's frustrating. The thing about Instagram, though, is it has been a platform for designers to advertise for free and Mm -hmm. to be able to show the world what your brand is and, and get all that publicity. Yeah. 
We'll see. We'll yeah. be when the you know what the, there's tequila when this all goes <laughs> terribly wrong. There's tequila, and we'll be we'll be there for you guys. Um, okay, so just I want to get back to this yeah. idea of fewer better. Uh-huh. So if 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 you really believe in fewer is better, you're not talking about fewer as in just a few of the worst possible clients. You want right. a few of the best possible clients. Right. So tell me who your best possible client is and tell me how you get to her. So, yeah, I mean, fewer better with clients as well, because 10 to 15, I mean, you have a lot of people working for you, but I do think it's more in the like five to 10 a year um, for my brand. And it's someone who trust immediately, someone who is not going to question, is not going to, um, what do people say, um, shop shop you. Okay. Um, they, I tend to do actually very well with attorneys as clients. Me too. Yeah. I have, I hear some people say they don't like to work with lawyers and I actually love working for lawyers. Yeah. My, my, one of my favorite clients is an attorney and they, they, first of all, they understand how you bill Mm -hmm. and they, they can see the line items and they'll review it and they understand that that's, you're going to bill for emails. You're going to bill for phone calls, all of those things. So that right away is a good thing. Number two, most attorneys are self-aware and real. I don't have a creative side. And because a lot of attorneys don't, they're, you know, they have that one side of the brain, they That's don't have point. the other. And so they're, they're willing to say, I don't know how to do this. I need to hire you because you do know how to do this. And so I'm not going to question, you know, every decision. Um, because I think it's really important for the client to, to just say, okay, you're, you're in charge and I'm going to defer to you. So I'd say that is, that's a huge attribute that, that yeah, I look I, for. Rich. I never really thought about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find them extremely reasonable when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, they get that it's not life or death. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I've had clients, like I remember this one guy, like I think we were late with a pillow and I thought he was going to have a stroke. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my, wow. That's just, and I find the, the attorneys that I've worked with are like, yeah, okay. You know, things go wrong. When will it be done? Great. That's terrific. Right. Moving right. on. Moving Much on. like, yeah, there is, they are more even keeled. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say again, like ideal client has the aesthetic that is in line with, for me, is in line with what I like to do, which is this California relaxed look, minimal California. More minimal. Mm-hmm. More, More minimalist. Minimal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't need 50 blankets in the living room. Right. I am like, mm, those all have to be dry cleaned at some point. So let's stick to maybe two. Um, and then they have money, right? They need to have money because if they don't have money, they're not going to be able to afford you. Are you allowed to say that? I mean, are we allowed to say that? <laughs> you know, sometimes um, it feels like that's something nice girls don't say. Is that like, does that date me by so much? But I'm so glad you said that because the reality is it's not for everybody. When I hear um, messaging that is, you know, an interior designer is, you know, available for everyone. No, that isn't true. It is a luxury service as a matter of fact. Yeah. And that's something I've said because there is this idea and I don't know if it's because of all these new startups that have made people feel like, oh, I can get a designer. No, it's, it's luxury and it costs money and not everyone gets to have it. And I I would say it's affordable luxury. I mean, I have a lot of clients I would consider to, to have a modest amount of 
money who will hire us for modest right. projects, right. and they they think it's worth the money, and we do too. Um, yeah, the the messaging that everybody can have one is dangerous. The message the messaging that everyone can be one mm-hmm. is a lie. Mm-hmm. So you got to know who you are, and if you're looking for that luxury client, then again, you want you want to make sure that the brand consistently says the kind of luxury you provide. Right. So in terms of where I find them, so I, you you know, and this is also probably a faux pas, but I use what I call my network. I, you know, I, I'm not shy around the people that I know to say this is what I do and I, I put it out there. And then I have a... Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're like out for dinner with girlfriends and you're like... Ladies, I need a client. <laughs> Who you got for me? How well, do you do it specifically? Um, I'm yeah, shy about this, by the way. So this is really good for me to hear. So I think back... Okay, so when we first redid our house in Redondo, I remember having friends over and they were like, oh, can we bring our other friends over? And I was like, sure. Because in my head, I thought the more people who can see my house, the better. And truly that ended up being... Both of those people ended up hiring me, both the immediate friends and then the friend of a friend. Um, and at that you know, little barbecue, they said, oh, can we can we hire you? We want our house to look like this. And I said, yes. And I remember, so she, and it, what, I love these people. It wasn't like, oh, the only reason I had them over was to get hired. But I also was thinking, you know, I know both of these people just were buying houses and they're going to be interested in having a designer. Um, so it's happened that way. It's happened, yeah, when I'm at dinner and someone mentions something, I'll say like, oh, I, I'm actually, we, I'm ready to get a new project going. Let me know if they need a designer. I'd be happy to chat with them. I am not shy about interjecting. Wow. Um, I, I would never do that. And I'm not saying that's right. I think the way you're suggesting it is much better, I think. But it requires a certain amount of confidence, right? And right. I, I think having the brand consistently behind you gives you a bit of confidence because you know when they find you online, they're going to find what you want them to see. Right. Um, I also, though, I so there di- are different personality types, and right, I am a connector. So naturally, the way my brain works is it's like, oh, that person has a need. Oh, I have an ability to to fill that need. Hmm. So it's not, I'm not even thinking about it a lot. It's more of a innate ability where she's saying something and in my head, I'm like, oh, I can, you know, and it doesn't even have to be about me. I could say, oh, I know someone who can do that. Right. right? It, it goes, it, it, it's all around all things. And it just happens to be when design comes up, yeah. I'll throw myself on, in there. I admire that. And the, the thing that I, um, I'm going to take from this too is, um, have an open house. Invite yeah. people into your home if it's your home. I I'm having an open house at a client's house um, in May. We are finishing her condo. It's the last condo she's ever going to do. It's like the fifth project we've done for her. It's super sleek and sexy and Art Deco. And I asked her if I could invite her neighbors in mm. to see the condo. And she said, yes. And I'm doing it specifically because we love working in that building. It's close to, to where I live. And I know that when some of her neighbors come through, they a couple, one or two of them will want to hire us. So that's really uh, smart. Host 
host an open house. You yeah. pay for the caterer. You send the client flowers. You give her a spa day gift certificate to say thank you because you're going to get a job out of it. And do you send the invites out or how do you figure out? Do you just put brochures in people's mailboxes? Postcards under the doors. Okay. That's what we do. Hey, we just finished a project in your building at you know suite you know, 2205. We're having an open house. Come for a cocktail and uh, something to eat and meet meet the client, you know, meet your neighbor and meet the designer kind of thing, or just meet the designer. Because in, in this See, case, the client this. doesn't want to be there. She's letting me do it, but she doesn't want to be there. She's like, and then, I don't want to know my neighbors. <laughs> and then if it's, if it's a house in a neighborhood, would you just do in, in people's mail? Like, how would you, would you put postcards in people's mailboxes? Now, what we, the one time we did it at someone's house, and this is going back to 2008, and these were really, that was a really great year. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. 2010 was a bad year. Mm-hmm. 2008 was an amazing year for the first half. So what we did is we invited past customers and we told them to bring a friend Mm. because I don't know how we would um, invite like just random people in the neighborhood to come by. So that's how we handled that. Okay. Um, And then another client we have, she wants to throw a party for her, for her, you know, like for her girlfriends to show them the work that we did. And Mm. she wants to know if we'll come. And we're Mm. like, absolutely we'll come. Business cards in hand. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really a good idea, everybody. Think about some way being able to host an open house or an experience in a home that you've designed. Yeah, so like a lot, I happen to like hosting, but last week we had my son's fifth birthday party at our house. Most birthday parties in preschool, people, you know, they go to whatever, those indoor kid places. And we've always hosted the birthday parties at our house. Cause I'm like, I want people to come. I want people to see. Um, and it was great. And I actually was talking to the office manager at his preschool yesterday. And he was like, Oh my God, people were talking about your house. And you know, that's what you want. Yeah. Um, and they, and you know what, maybe they're not going to hire you right now for whatever reason, right. but then they go and they tell another friend, Oh, exactly. I just went to this amazing house in Pacific Palisades. You should see it. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I do things like, you know, my son is just turned five and he's going to do his first year of T-ball or first whatever season of T-ball in April. And I'm not a big sports person. My husband's definitely bigger, but I'm like, no, this is good because this is how I start to meet people in the neighborhood. And this is, you know, how you get your name out locally. Yeah. So just doing anything you can to put your name out there. Okay. And then, and then the goal is to have the fewest number of clients possible, Mm -hmm. but make the money you need to make. Right. And what do you do when you encounter that client who wants to hire you, but you don't feel it's a good fit? How do you, what, do you have any strategies for that? Yeah. I just handled this last week. Um, I went on a client consultation, so I do a up to 90 minute client consult and what do you, what do you charge for that? So I should be charging 375, but I keep charging 275 because every time I get on the phone with someone, I get nervous and I downplay my rate and somehow 275 comes out. It's supposed to be 375. What are you going to charge next starting tomorrow? 375. Right. Okay. You guys, we want to keep her accountable. So do you have that on your website? Do you have that? I don't have that, but I could put it. Put it on there because that's going to help back you up. Yeah, that's true. I'm so proud of you. You just made a hundred bucks for every consult that you go to extra. 
And so that was I was easy, right? Yeah. Like giving yourself a raise is actually kind of easy. Like boom, done. It's just it's part of it is just saying it and then yes. getting reassurance that is that okay? Can I charge that much, right? Cuz yeah. a lot we always want to downplay what we do. Yeah. Um so I went on this consult, lovely couple, but I within 5 minutes realized this is not my ideal client. Right. I like bigger projects. I love demo. I love renovation. I like reimagining an entire house or at least a floor of a home. And they really just needed to do a little facelift here and there. So at the end of the 90 minutes, after you know providing a lot of good information for them and even providing subs that I would recommend or a GC, you know, I said politely that I didn't think that they should hire me because I would cost more than they should be paying for a designer. Um, and I gave them a name of a designer that I love that likes this type of work. Mm-hmm. They weren't thrilled, but right. they paid my, you know, they'd paid my consult and... Well, they were disappointed yeah. because they, they wanted to work with you. But the fact of the matter is sometimes we just have to say no. And ultimately it does work out better for the client. Right. And I've, I've seen it where I do have the client that's not right. And it's just, it's not good for either party. Wow. Yeah. That's lousy. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is fewer is better. Mm -hmm. Do fewer projects. Um, the only thing that this equation doesn't work for is your rate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Don't, Earn fewer dollars. Right. <laughs> Stop earning fewer dollars. It's, it, it, this is also not for your first, I'd say, three years of business because right. my first three years of business, you know, I heard Shay McGee talking on uh, some podcast she was on recently about we took every single client we could get. And I I didn't do every single client, but I definitely said yes to clients, even though I knew maybe this wouldn't be the best client. Mm-hmm. But I just said yes, because I wanted the experience. I wanted, well, the experience. That right. was like the number. I needed experience. But I would say after three years, you've got a good amount of experience. That's when you can start getting pickier. Yeah. And it, it definitely depends on how much money you need to mm-hmm. earn. Is, is, you know, is, are you a single mom who has to support yourself? In which case it's, I want to acknowledge that mm-hmm. it's very difficult to turn down jobs when that's yeah. the case. When, when 2008, the, the end of 2008, when the economy took a dive, um, I, we ended up in 2009 and 2010, the only projects we had left were kitchens and baths. Mm -hmm. That was it. We Mm -hmm. did not have a whole home reno for two years, I think. And if somebody had one, I remember at one point we got hired to do a dining room and I came back to the office. I had very big staff at that point and they said, how did it go? Because we're like, do we, are we going to get fed next week? You know? And I'm like, we got the project and and they said, what is it? And I said, it's the whole dining room. (laughs) And we just laughed ourselves silly, like, oh my God, the whole, the whole dining room. Um, and you know, that's what we needed to do to pay the bills, right? you know, and now I could say no to that project. That would be fine. Um, but I never, I've worked for myself since I was 14 years old. So I never, ever, never want to underestimate how hard it is to say no to business when you need the money. Yeah. But, and, um, and, and exactly. And that's why the first three years I took clients that maybe weren't the right fit. I also, because I talked about, you know, how I started with a house flip. So I have basically two components to my business. I have the client business. And then I also, we always have our own house that we're working on. So I was able to this last year because we sold a house, you know, 
I was able to start getting pickier with the clients I was taking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is exactly where you want to get to. Um, The fact of the matter is this business should provide you with a living. Mm -hmm. It should provide you with a really great living, and it should give you some flexibility to start to make choices as an independent contractor about what you want to do Mm long-term. And if it's not doing all that for you, then, you know, keep coming back because we'll have more things that we'll talk about that will help you get there. And, and I, you know, Carly's acknowledged that she started out in law. I started out in entertainment and I did not grow up in a home where there was money or antiques or any discussion of interior design. In fact, both my parents are from Arkansas. <laughs> they were both deceased now, but they were from Arkansas. And I remember distinctly when I told my mom that I was going to go to design school, she said, what is that? And when I explained what it was, she said to me, they'll pay you for that. Um, so I, these are learned skills. This Ima- is not Ima- something you're born into. Imagine telling your parents that you're a lawyer and then you want to go be a designer. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. That was, that did not go well. Not that would no. not go well. No. Yeah. Anyway, we're glad you made the switch. We like to end every episode with something we call design intervention. And that's an opportunity to give something to the community that's going to help them uh, in some meaningful way. So it could be any tip or suggestion you have. The more actionable, the better. Because these guys who are listening, they're on fire. They're making changes to their business. um, And uh, they're keenly listening to you to tell them something that they need to change right away. So what would you say that is, Carly? Okay, so I have two tips. The first is be very cautious about working for friends. Because <laughs> should I get the tequila? <laughs> Sounds like maybe there's a story there. All I'll say is, I actually had this conversation yesterday with a very good friend who I declined doing work for because I said, if if I, with every friend job, you have to ask yourself, are you going to be okay if you're not friends at the end of this? Because it can go south. It shouldn't, but you don't know how people react when they're spending a lot of money and there's, they're, you know, they're, they're living in a construction zone. It is very stressful. And when you're in the mix, your fingers start getting pointed. And if things go wrong, all I, all I'll say is just be cautious of doing, doing work for friends. Can I, can mm -hmm. I add to that? That's, that's a terrific suggestion. I would add that if you don't have button-down systems and total confidence and an A-team of trades, that I would double down on what Carly said. But I would say if, you, if you've been in business 5, 10, 15 years and you're using all the 15 steps, I now can say that I have four good friends that I've worked for and the, the key to being successful is running those projects exactly like you would run any other project. Do not make exceptions because they're friends because that's when things go wrong. Charge what you charge. Run the project like you run the project. Don't... Um, you know, if you have a suggestion and you think they should follow it, tell them that you think they're making a mistake if they don't do exactly what you say and stick to it. So, 100% with yeah, all of that. Okay. The reason that all, yeah, my advice comes from, again, the first three years. Yeah. Um, the second piece of advice I would give is to under-promise and over-deliver rather than over-promise and under-deliver. Most of us in the service-based industry are people-pleasers. I am a major victim of this, and my instinct 
right away was to say, yes, yes, yes. And of course we can do it and be super confident. Well, that just got me into a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I have learned, you know, the Kimberly technique of hands, you know, butt on the hands, like (laughs) shut your mouth. Don't say you can do something because as much as we want to say yes, it's just that that client's going to hold you to it and it's going to end up getting you in trouble. Okay. Now I think you should explain the Kimberly Seldon butt on the hands. Okay. So it's, (laughs) I don't want any, but you understand. Your most of our inclination is to keep talking when someone says, "Oh, can you do this?" Oh, yeah, and then we just keep talking, and we get ourselves into trouble because we keep overpromising and and mm-hmm. saying things that we shouldn't say. So the idea is, say your piece, and then put your hands underneath your legs, so or underneath your butt, so that they're sit you, on your sit hands on your somehow. hands. There yeah. you go. <laughs> sit on your hands, so you force yourself to close your mouth. Yeah, that that's my reminder. I sit on my hands, and that's my reminder to shut up. Right. Don't say another word. You said too much already. Right. Shut up. Exactly. And so if there's clients listening, they're going to be looking for me to sit on my hands, which I do quite a bit, as a matter of fact. I do it when I present the cost of something. Uh, I know you wanted to spend $100,000, but now your budget is $275,000. Um, sit on my hands. Exactly. <laughs> right? Sit yep. on my hands. So, yep. yeah. Okay. That was such great actionable advice. Thank you so, so much. Are we going to be hanging around together in high at High Point? Uh, yes. So I'm going to be there with Brittany from Vintage Rug Shop. Oh my God. We're going to have so much fun. I, I know. Can't wait. And now I may have to sign up for Palm Springs because I just saw that pop do up. Do it, do it, do it. Oh my God. It's going to be awesome. In fact, I'm going in a, I've already been on one scouting trip. I'm going again. We were, what I do, I'm obsessed, I'm obsessive compulsive. So for those of you who don't know that, I'm not technically that, but I am that. So we will go on three or four scouting trips before the retreat. And um, when I go back in March... I have three different architectural guides hired and over a three-day period. So we'll be doing tours with all three so I can find the one who's the best. Mm. So um, that's what we do. We will make sure that it's an amazing trip. October 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st, it's during Modernism Weekend. We will get you behind the scenes at some amazing events, and and we're going to work really hard. It really is going to be a hardworking trip. And then following the trip, trip, uh, following the retreat, the Palm Springs retreat, there will be three hours of coaching for the people who go on the retreat. And I wanted to do that because it's so hard to take time off from your business um, to do learning. And then sometimes you go to a great conference or an event, and then you rush back into your life and you never implement. And then it's a bit of a waste. So we want to make sure at the end of the retreat that you make a commitment to do some implementation and that I'm going to help you do that so that we can uh, follow up. And I'm going to follow up with Carly in a week and find out if she's charging $375 for the consultations. I'm, I'm not letting her off my, the hook. Go put it on my website. Not, see, you see, and you only need the Palm the Springs. You, the Palm Springs event, event is $2,400. Um, we'll pamper you. We have a luxury coach that'll be taking you thing. We're going to spend a ton of money on guides and visits. Um, you I, can, I always say, whatever Kimberly's cooking, I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> but see, now you you only have to do how many, somebody help me with the math. You only have to do 24 consultations and you've paid for the retreat by raising your rate by $100. So if you want to go to the retreat, raise your rate by $100 and then you'll, you'll have to do 24 consultations and you're done. Done. Yeah. This was awesome. You're a wonderful guest. Uh, thank you so much everybody for being here and nice talking to you, Carly. Thank you. 
thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today. Start today.